Good morning. Would you stand with me for the scripture reading? Today's scripture is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, some of us remember how to do that thing. It's okay. Well, you guys can all be seated. Um, as you may have noticed as you're looking around, Joe Kirkendall isn't here today, but we didn't want to confuse people too much, so the person that we brought in, his name is also Joe. So as long as you got Pastor Joe down, you're going to be okay. Um, but I want to introduce Joe Couch. He's been a longtime friend of Joe Kirkendall, been around the New Life family for well over a decade. Um, him and his wife run a uh, youth discipleship program on the west side of Colorado here called Rev5. Um, so they're deep in the trenches of, of raising up the next generation of leaders and, and training them on um, Christian worldviews and, and not getting sucked into some of the stuff that, that's out there. And uh, so if any of you young guys in the audience are interested in some of that, they do some really cool stuff out in the wilderness, mixing that with the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure he would love to talk to you more about that afterwards. But more importantly than that, um, I've known him for quite some time, and I can tell you that he is a faithful man of God. He is a lover of Jesus, um, and he'd probably be described kind of like David when he, when he would say, if I could become even more undignified than this, then I would. And so please welcome Joe Couch. Open your hearts to the word of God as, as he teaches us today. Hello. All right. We're on. Well, good morning. It is a, a total privilege to be here this morning. Um, as Justin said, been around the New Life world for a long time. Uh, my family moved to Colorado Springs in 92. And uh, shortly thereafter, we found our way to New Life. And so I kind of grew up there and have a lot of old relationships, friendships there. So it's a special place. Um, not the least of these being Joe Kirkendall. So met Kirkendall, uh, as we call him. Sorry, Pastor Joe. Forgive me. Where am I? Um, met Pastor Joe uh, probably about 15, 20 years ago and introduced myself three times in a row, three weeks in a row. Uh, he's cool now, but he was even cooler then. He had a mullet and he'd wear a hat and kind of crazy shirts. And so, so Pastor Joe uh, took me three weeks before it finally stuck, but he became uh, a very close friend and um, been accountability partners for 15 something years and just, just love the guy. He is, he is, as you know, he keeps you on your toes. You'll laugh a lot. You'll have a good time. Uh, but he's always up for adventure. About a month ago, uh, he took uh, myself and some staff from our school uh, uh, caving, spelunking, whatever you call that. And so we're, we're going through this one section. There's this one really small tunnel, uh, really small, something like Big Man's Misery or something like that. And so we're going, and one of our guys is a pretty good sized guy. And so we kind of all make it through, and he's the last one. He's like, man, I don't know if I can make it through there. I, I don't know. And, and Joe's like, go ahead, man. You totally got it, bro. You got it. There's been guys way larger than you that have gone through this before. You're totally fine. So he's like, all right, man, I'm going to do it. So he kind of gets in the little, little cavity, and he, he's like, he gets about halfway through. He's like, man, I, I think I'm stuck. Like, I don't know if I can make this. And it kind of starts freaking out a little bit. And, and so, so anyways, he takes him several minutes, and he finally gets through. So we're all about 15 feet away in this back part of this cave, and he finally gets through, and he drops out, and Joe leans over, and he goes, there's never been a guy that big before ever make it through that. <laughs> and I was like, it's like... That's Kirkendall. <laughs> so, but, but he's that kind of guy. I think, I, think, I think he's the kind of guy that goes, he, he, he sees something, and he sees something in you, 
And he'll speak to you not where you are, but where he sees you can be, and then invites you into that place, into that destiny. And he's that kind of guy. And so, so I would just like to start by saying this morning that you guys are extremely privileged to have a man like Joe Kirkendall leading down here. As somebody who's gotten to walk through some high highs and, and low lows with him, uh, he's a man of God. He loves well, and he's just steady. He is just faithful. Uh, incredible guy. So so anyways, love Joe, love you, Erica, love the Kirkendall family, and obviously being a part of New Life, it's just a super, super privilege to be down here. So moving forward, this lovely lady, would you stand up, baby? This right here, yeah, give it up for right here, okay? Uh, this is my, my beautiful bride of almost nine years. Um, we, we actually met in one of the uh, collegiate houses of prayer called The Furnace over at New Life. Uh, I was leading worship and, um, and uh, standing here with a, with a band playing and opened my eyes and this gorgeous blonde girl is standing there and she's just worshiping and totally captivated by Jesus. And true story, only time in my life, uh, and I've led worship for about 25 years, only time in my life I suddenly forgot the music, forgot the chords, forgot the pattern forgot the words, forgot everything. And, and I just totally went numb. It was like one of those movies you see where that stuff happens. And, I, and I'm facing the band. I'm, I'm turning around because I'm giggling. There's, a, there's a, a bunch of people here, about 100 people. And, and I'm sitting there like, what are you doing? Like, turn around, sing. And I'm like, I can't. I'm so happy. So, so anyways, um, chased her for a year. She said no for a year. Jesus spoke to her. We got married. Yay! <laughs> It's a short version. There's a lot of pain in there. Um, and then we started having babies. And I didn't know you could do this, but we had a girl, super excited. Then we had another girl, super excited. Had another girl, uh, super excited. And now pink number four is in route in October. So uh, we are all, we have our own little women. So I tell everybody, the army is looking for a few good men, and so are we. So if you have small muchachos uh, that will be looking for a... An arranged marriage. We have a short 40-page application that you can fill out, and we can talk about that in about 30 years when they're ready. So, okay, so um, I know Justin already prayed, but I want to pray one more time and just uh, ask the Lord in these, like, I think 12 minutes I have or something like that, um, that the Holy Spirit would help me communicate what I feel like he put on my heart for us this morning. And uh, so here we go. Jesus, thank you for your bride. Thank you for what you're doing on the planet. Thank you that for over 2,000 years, you have been leading the body of Christ into deeper relationship with you and into your mission. And Father, we're so honored to, to, to come and to worship freely and to, to sit here and to open the word of God and ask your spirit to speak to ours. Jesus, this morning, would you move us towards your mission, towards your heart, toward what you're doing? Would you cause us to have the courage and the willingness to engage and go where you want to go? In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Well, you guys have been in a series called Grow, right? Okay, yeah, you've been good, you've been awake. Um, and the series called Grow, and, and I love this, I love this idea, and so uh, Joe was talking to me a, a number of weeks ago, and when we first started talking about coming and speaking, and was kind of giving me a little bit of a heads up on what we're going to be discussing as a, as a church and series, and um, when he asked me what's going to be the title of, of what you're going to do uh, when you come and speak, I said, I, I think we're going to call it Growing Pain. And whenever you say that, you don't usually get much of a response different than I just got from you. <laughs> Yay. Growing pain. And my, my thought process was that when you talk about growth, if we take a little plant and we think about how you grow a plant, there are some plants that are extremely hardy. And you can stick them in the soil and you can, you can, you can just stuff the, you know, the, the humus around them and the fertilizer and all that and let them go. And it's like, it doesn't matter if it's rain, if it's hail, if it's warm, if it's cold, they come back next year. They just, they grow and they're hardy. 
And there are other plants where if you don't get everything just right, the perfect amount of sunlight, the perfect amount of soil, the perfect amount of water, it doesn't take anything to kill them. And maybe some of you, like me, I'm really good at killing plants, but they're really fragile, right? But there's others that are super, super hardy, and, and, and those ones, it doesn't matter what you throw at them, they just kind of keep growing sometimes. And when I think about it, this idea of growing pain comes to mind when we talk about grow in our spiritual life and journey, about what are the growing pains of moving forward? So whether it's a child or a plant, you all go through certain changes and and different pains that are just a natural part of of growing and maturing physically, spiritually, mentally, things that you engage, go through. But there's kind of this other twist or spin on on growing pain that I want to present this morning to you as well. And that's simply this idea that that all of us have a, a pain threshold, if you will. And just like a plant, we'll grow to a certain level where we have a pain threshold. And once we hit that threshold, that's kind of where we just... It's a glass ceiling. We just kind of stop. And so often I think when we look at the, the spiritual journey of, of following the Lord Jesus, you rise to a certain, you rise to a certain level, and then you, you see people kind of just peter out. They just kind of find a station, and it's like, well, I, I, this is kind of as good as it gets, or, you know, whatever language we wrap around it, we just kind of describe, ah, you know, I'm in for the long haul, uh, passion is for teenagers, whatever, whatever the language is. You kind of find this place where it kind of just goes like this, and you kind of just plug in, you start doing the deal, but there's not this, this zeal, this being tethered to the mission and return of Jesus that's drawing you forward. And I think what really is happening in many of us is that we're reaching a pain threshold that we have. And I think that if we want to continue to grow and move forward with what Jesus has for our lives, for being missional in our communities, for, for, for speeding the day of his arrival, as Peter tells us, we want to do that. We have to increase the threshold of pain so that we can endure a greater measure of, of oppression or of, of resistance against us so that we can bear more fruit, okay? So this morning, we are going to talk about growing pain, and I mean that again two ways. One, the natural process, and two, how do we grow the threshold of our pain in our discipleship journey and in, in our walk of following Jesus and falling in love with him? Okay, I was homeschooled. Um, totally not ashamed to say that. I love it. Uh, spent six years um, in homeschool. Actually went to uh, private school, public school, graduated. But one of the games that we loved as we were kids was this game called Red Rover. Anybody play that? If you're an American, you better have played that game, all right? Just good, like, before, like, toys that made noises and talked to you and did stuff for you, you grab a group of kids, right? And you get two teams. One team would stand over here, and you'd all lock arms, okay? And then you'd get the other group of, of, of kids over here, and you'd stand over here, and you'd lock arms, and we'd call it Red Rover, right? And you go something like this. If you know it, say it with me. You go, Red Rover, Red Rover. So, oh, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, whoever right over, okay? But you, you knew this, and it, it, you knew this, this idea because it, when they run— against you, if they break through the line, then they get to take somebody back over to their side. But if you can grab hard enough and, oh, it hurts so bad, but if you catch them, then they become a part of your team, right? So everybody knows the strategy, right? Like when you're about to call out Red Rover, you're like, don't call him. Like, I think he was a rhino in his last life. Like, you're just, you, just, you just move and let him run by, right? Like, like, call that, like, 10-year-old girl that has wrists like a toothpick, weighs 25 pounds, soaking wet. Like, call her and ask her to run and break through because we'll totally catch her, right? So you kind of do this back and forth. So if you, if, you, if you catch them, you get to keep them. But if they break through, they get to take somebody back to their side. So we're all familiar with this, this kind of deal that we do with Red Rover 
But as I was thinking about this morning, I thought, man, that is exactly how the enemy plots against us. He stands over on one side and he goes, all right, okay, I can see that one. That one's huge and strong. There's no way I'm going to get through there. That one's medium. I could take my chance there. That one's anemic and weak. And if I bring that one over and they can't get through, I can catch them. And now I have some real estate that belongs to me because it was weak and it was powerless. Now, now I've got an area of darkness. I have power in that place because I was able to resist. What I want to submit to you guys this morning in growing pain is simply this. One of the greatest areas I think that we as a church are anemic and weak is in our willingness to endure pain, to confront, to engage conflict with one another. Now, this idea, when you say conflict, some people are like, oh yeah, I have it all the time. Yeah, I don't mean angry conflict or, or no, we're from the Midwest, we were farmers. We never have conflict. We just sweep it under the rug and it goes away, right? When I say conflict, I'm talking about what's a right conflict? What's a God-designed conflict that's meant to be an instrument of producing life in us, but that's going to require pain in our journey? So I want to look at this idea this morning of conflict and the role that it has in our lives Let's start with this phrase that I love. It says, to the degree that we experience relationship is the degree that we experience life. I'll say it again. To the degree which we experience relationship is the degree that we experience life. So we'll never have more life than we experience in relationship. Right? You hear some people sometimes, I, you know what, I just, me and God, the world is messed up, relationships hurt, people are mean. Just as long as I'm good here, I'm good. Which is cool except for it's not biblical. Right? So the degree to which you experience relationship is the degree to which you experience life, okay? And again, when we zoom out and say grow, what are we actually talking about? Like grow bigger, grow wiser, grow wealthier. Like what are we saying? When we really say grow, we're saying we want life abundant. We want John 10, 10. We want to be living out of the overflow of the spirit of Jesus moving inside of us. So you come back to this idea and go, I'm never going to experience more life than I am relationship. And you peel that back one layer further, we realize you're never going to experience a deeper threshold of relationship than you do pain, conflict. In other words, if I could sit down with you and ask you, tell me about the relationships in your life and tell me about conflict. What does conflict look like? What does it look like to confront? What does it look like? Uh, when was the last time you had a difficult conversation that you prayed and labored over and went with somebody and, and, and started asking you questions? In probably just a couple of minutes, I could tell you a ton about the quality of the life that you're living. You could do the same for me. Why? Because the degree that we experience relationship is the degree we experience life. And again, the degree to which we experience conflict is the degree to which we'll experience relationship. If we learn to do conflict and engage and endure pain well with each other, what happens? The relationship value goes up. Any relationship can be judged by the degree of pain that is willingly endured to preserve it. Any relationship can be judged by the degree of pain that's willing to be endured to, willing to be engaged to endure it, okay? And then finally, that relationship, again, goes back to life. So I want to look at a scripture real quick. We read it this morning, but I want to look at it because sometimes you take an idea like this and it's like, yeah, that's ethereal, it sounds great, but what about practical me right here I'm living now, right? 
So I want to look at this for a second. Probably the first verse. If you go back to the first verse you learned as a Christian, somewhere on your radar, any, throw, throw some out. First verse you learned. Did John 3.16, is that what you said? Yeah, I, I think I can. This is kind of, my ears are, okay. So, so, so John 3.16, it's like the first one that we learn. And, and, and if, we, if we look at this thing for a second, we're going to find that this idea of engaging conflict and preserving relationship is, is not just an out there thing. It's wired into the DNA of our entire Christian journey. So say this with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him If you're pre-1985, you might say, believeth and not perish, and whosoever is, and like I do. I was raised on that, and then I had to switch, and then switch again. There's another translation. Okay. So check this out for a second. Would you throw that back up there for me, bro? Check this out for a second and look at this, because, again, wired into this is this idea. Okay, if we start with, for God so loved the world that he gave... His only son, in other words, he was sent from perfect relationship down to the planet, right, to reveal the heart of God, that whosoever believes in him, in other words, I'm going to come down, and in that sent and coming, we know the whole story of the, the violence of the cross and the, 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 the proclamation of what was true. And he did this. He gave his son. He sent, and he had violent conflict. Again, just read with me here. He loved so much, he came and had violent conflict so that we could have a chance to respond and actually be restored in relationship. You see it? Let's go back a little bit before this. If you go all the way back to, to, to the, the garden, right? Before everything went wrong, right? We're, we're running around naked, eating fruit, chasing each other. He's like, this is good. This is what I designed, right? We're, we're in that zone. And, and, and you watch when, when Adam and Eve sin, you remember the first thing that God does, it, right, right before it says they were naked and unashamed, there was no fear. There was no anxiety. There was no shame. And you watch right after that relationship is broken, suddenly they are aware and they're filled with shame. And the first thing God does is he sheds blood and he takes that material, that animal skin, and he covers their shame. Okay, now at one point they were naked skin to skin, unashamed. Now there's been a fracture and a breaking and the first thing he does is he, he sheds blood. There's conflict. There's, there's a violent conflict, sheds blood in order to create this covering of the shame. And now no longer are they skin to skin. Now it's, it's skin and then there's the flesh material of another animal. And then it's the skin of the other person. And now there's a barrier that's between them. And that's how we've lived for, right? So... This, when Jesus comes, you guys, you guys know the story, but I just want you to get the big picture. When Jesus comes, and the same way there's broken, fractured relationship, he comes and he dies. We have this violent conflict that exists, right? And watch this. Instead of clothing and covering, what happens to the presence of God inside of the temple? Instead of a covering and putting something between the relationship he goes, I'm going to rip apart the curtain, right? At the moment he died, the temple veil is ripped into, the spirit of God rushes out, and now it dwells inside of us. He goes, I'm going to be so close, it's not skin to skin, it's skin inside of skin. It's spirit inside of spirit. What God intended goes through violent conflict, covers the shame, only now he goes, I'm coming back. He puts his feet on the planet. He dies at that moment. The spirit of God is, is released 
and has access to us. And now he goes, perfect, uninhibited relationship with no shame. And friends, this idea of conflict is, 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 is woven together with this idea of shame. One of the litmus tests you can use was, am I okay with conflict? Will I engage? What, what level will I endure pain in a relationship in order to restore it? One of the first things you can ask, take a quick litmus test on shame. If there's a high volume of shame in your life, you can almost directly correlate that to the degree or the absence of conflict in your life. First and foremost, right here with the Lord Jesus. Because the truth of the gospel is, the veil was rent. Relationship was restored. There's no more shame or condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. I think when we talk about conflict and when we realize this is not just a skill, it's not something that's out there, it's actually wired into the DNA of what God designed us to experience with him. And we get it right here. The first thing he always has us do is to turn right here laterally and to begin to engage a level of pain, to increase that threshold and begin to reconcile relationships around us. See, why is this so important? I'll tell you why it's so important. Because the criteria that the world uses to evaluate the validity of our message is the measure of relationships that we share with each other. Let me say that again. The criteria that the world uses to validate the legitimacy of our message is determined by the degree of relationship we have with each other. Okay, so real simple. You're preaching. Let me see if I believe what you're saying by the way that you treat the people around you. Because if those relationships are shallow, I don't want what you're preaching. You've just proven to me it's no good. You're not buying what you're selling. But if I can listen to you preach, good or bad, doesn't matter. If I can listen to you preach and I can look at the relationships around you and they're rich and they're raw and there's constant conflict. And again, I don't mean wrong conflict. I mean right conflict. Meaning if, if I love you, I'll wound you. Probably not you because you're large. Uh, but if I love you, I'll wound you a little bit better. Let's move all the way down here to make it right, okay? I, I love this. Think about surgery. Jesus calls himself the great physician. Okay, any surgeon knows. You got a cut. You got a wound. Why? Because you got to get the cancer out. So I'll wound you in order to heal you. If you'll trust me to wound you in order to heal you, then I'll let you step in here and get bloody and do conflict. So if I trust the motive is for me and there's love at the roots of it, then I'll let you wound me violently in order for us to restore. Why? Because I know the byproduct of that wounding is going to be an increase in relationship. What happens? The world looks at our message and goes, I don't even get all of it, but that is legit. Sometimes we're so frustrated. People don't want to come to church. They don't want to experience Jesus. They don't want to whatever. Look at the proof. Jesus is a really good leader. And it says in his word that he's coming back for a bride that's pure and spotless and radiant. She's not shriveled up, insecure, hiding, weak, anemic, and with really poor relationships. What does that mean? That means you and I have a job to do. Peter says we speed the hour of his arrival. Literally, when he returns, is influenced by how we cooperate with what his spirit's doing. What does he want us to do? He wants us to prepare the bride of Jesus. 
He wants us to prepare his bride. He wants us to go and go, man, this stinks. And it was a pain. And I'm sorry, dude. Like, I'm, I'm off. But like, like, let me just share with you. Like, here's my perspective. Like, this happened. And, and, and I'm going to trust that this relationship is valuable enough that, that, that we can wrestle through this and come out on top. But this happened. It made me feel this way. It was just my experience. Would you tell me what you saw? Let's kind of work through this a little bit. Why? Because if we do, we're going to be stronger instead of just pretending it didn't happen, sweeping it under the carpet and just be like, oh, it's great. He's coming back for a pure, spotless bride. And this idea of conflict, that the pain that we have to endure, it's not an option, friends. It's not a go down the grocery aisle and pick this and don't pick that and pick this. It's a requisite for the Christian journey. It's not a yes or no. It starts with him. He modeled it. He laid it out. He described it. It's incredibly clear. It's all throughout Scripture. And he goes, all right, you surrender to me. You're a part of my mission on the planet. Here's your first job assignment. Go reconcile with the people around you. Go take care of the stuff that stands between that was never meant to be there. Come on, I solved that. The spirit came out from behind the curtain. You are now naked and unashamed spiritually. There's nothing between you. It's skin on skin. We're one. And the world goes, wow, that is a gospel I want to respond to. I'll surrender to that Jesus. We don't stop preaching, but we live lives that resonate with the reality of what we're saying. And if we don't, let's stop pointing fingers at Hollywood and the world, and it's just getting darker, and it's just harder, and technology is just taking over, and we just, people don't respect clergy anymore, and we just, the small groups aren't launching, and we're saying, I don't think he feels that whiny about it. He's like, did I give you all you need for life and godliness or not? And if I did, let's read the book. Let's respond to what he's doing going, Holy Spirit, I have no idea how to forgive this person. I was legitimately hurt. I was wounded. And it's painful. And he goes, yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. Now watch me. Watch me. I showed you how to do it. Now do it. And I'm going to give you the grace and the strength to follow through and to do it well. I want you to experience life abundant. I want you to grow. And as you do the byproduct of that, I'll do the drawing. Why? Because you're lifting me up. I'll get people's attention. You get right. That's your job. We simply respond to what he says. We do those things. He's good at doing all the other stuff. We don't need programs. We don't need strategies and great slogans. We just need obedience. And boy, that life births in us. And then a natural byproduct as it moves beyond us. That's a good day. I want to take two minutes and, and look back at that scripture and then I'll close. Because uh, conflict is a, it's a skill. It's something you can learn. Oh, I'm just not good at. Well, l- let's go learn. It's a command of Jesus. Let's take it seriously and respond. Okay? So, but I just want to look at this the process in here in John 3.16. So there's a bunch of scriptures about conflict, but just that's, what, that's where we're at. And he goes, for God so loved. Before we ever get to a place of engaging the hurt or the wound or the pain, we have to get the motive. If the motive is not love, you can go have conflict all day and just hurt people. And some people do. If the motive is love, then they'll allow you to hurt them if they trust you. 
in order to heal that relationship. Well, I just don't feel love for that person. They hurt me so bad. I'm frustrated and I'm angry. Okay, what do you do? You go get on your face and you go, Jesus, I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I have nothing I want to do with this person. Would you give me strength? Would you give me love? I, I can tell you from a thousand stories. I'll tell you from my own journey. I've had multiple scenarios like this where it wasn't just a, oops, we're mad. We fought. Let's fix it. It was a months and months of tears and frustration. You see the face and you look away and you're angry. Going back to the prayer room, Jesus, would you give me grace? Would you give me strength? Would you give me love? And sometimes it might take months before something starts just barely blooming in you and you go, wow, I didn't just freak out when I saw that person. Like there was actually a warm spot in there somewhere. You go back, you pray, God, give me love. Give me love. It doesn't mean that I have to like them. It doesn't mean I have to take a road trip with them. It doesn't even mean I have to trust them and let them back into my life. I'm not condoning what's done. I'm just getting rid of the unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It just doesn't make sense. Okay? So you go and you, 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 you press in until you get the measure of love, and then you go back and you go, bro, I'm, I just, I want you to know I value this relationship enough that I'm going to say what I'm going to say and I'm going to trust that we're going to come out better because of it. So the motive has to be love. When the motive is love, you initiate. What if you were wounded? What if it was done against you? It doesn't matter. Don't sit around and wait for the world to happen. Go, go do it. Just like he did it. The motive becomes love. You initiate, you go, you experience that conflict. When the motive is right, and when you choose to initiate, half the time we're sitting around going, it was their fault, they should fix it. Stop it. That's childish. I'm going to weigh in here. I'm going to accept the burden. I'm going to initiate. I'm going to pray until there's love in my spirit. And then I'm going to move forward and have that conflict. Brass tacks, straight from heaven, John 3.16. I, I know it's more complicated. I know there's a lot of variables. But we can learn. We can do this, people. Alexander the Great is one of my favorite, uh, f- favorite figures from, from history. And... He, he, by the time he was 30, he had conquered all known lands. Pretty good resume, okay? So by the time he's 30, and in this one particular battle, he was going up against the city. It was well fortified and couldn't get in, couldn't get out. It just, it, it, was, it was not, it was a major battle. And he came to, um, he came to the, the, the people at the gate and he, and he said, hey, surrender. Just, you know who we are. I'm Alexander the Great, kind of a big deal. Surrender, we're going to mow you down. And they said, no, we'll, we'll never surrender. And I looked at him again and he said, surrender. And I said, we refuse to surrender, death first. So this city was built on this precipice near this massive drop-off. And he turned to a whole group of his soldiers and he pointed at the cliff and he said, march. And the soldiers started marching closer and closer and closer to the edge. And finally, one, two, ten, walked right off the edge to their deaths. And he said, stop. And then he looked back at the city and he said, surrender. And the whole city laid down their arms and surrendered. Because they knew that this group would stop at absolutely nothing to accomplish their mission. Friends, I think this idea of of, of pain and conflict and the ministry of reconciliation from 1 Corinthians, the ministry of reconciliation that he has committed to us, this is a primary issue for us inside the church. And we've got to be a people that are so committed that hell or high water, 
not I'm uncomfortable, not this makes me nervous, all the way to a point of death, just like he modeled for us. I will engage conflict. I'll endure the pain. I'll grow the threshold. I'll learn the skills. Why? So that we can be radiant, so that we can be powerful, so that when the gates of hell come against hell, hell can't prevail against it. They can't get through. Instead, we keep plunging through the lines and going, thank you, I'll take another one. And we run and we go, oh, it's powerful. Thank you, I'll take another one. And we go back over and over, and hell can't stop it. Why? Because we are the powerful ones now, because we're strong. Thank you. And plunder hell and populate heaven. The gospel's attractive if we just do what we do. Amen? All right, if you, if you bow your heads, I want to ask you a couple questions, and just here's how we'll close. I just want to start with us. If it's true with us, it can be true elsewhere. If it's not true with us, there's no reason for us to engage it. So here's what I want to ask. I'm I'm, I'm just going to list off four, five, six categories, and I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there somebody in one of these categories that I need to forgive? Number one, just you and Jesus. That might be forgiving you, you forgiving you and letting go of something that you just, I can't forgive myself because I did this. Or maybe it's the other way around. Like, Jesus, I need your forgiveness, but I've never been able or willing. I've never understood the depth of pain you endured in order to forgive me. Number two, your spouse. There's something you know you should have talked about a long time ago, but it's just you've let it ride because you're afraid. Naked and unashamed. Number three, family members. Who in the family? It's been unreconciled, maybe for weeks, maybe for years. Number four, friends. You've drifted apart simply because you haven't chosen to engage. It's a good friendship. God meant it to be. You lack the courage, so you let it drift. Number five, pastors and those in spiritual authority and leadership. There's usually a lot of unforgiveness there. Who do you need to go have a conversation with? Believe me, if they're a pastor, they know they're used to this, but get it off your heart. Number six, bosses. Somebody in authority over you that has some some financial leverage that you've been hurt by or that has wielded their power recklessly against you. And it's wounded you, and you're hurt, and you're carrying it. And finally, number seven, government officials. We hate this one. It's political, but Jesus talks about it right in Scripture. People I have judgment and unforgiveness and anger towards. Don't drink poison and wait for somebody else to die. I want to take one minute. I'm going to be quiet. I just want you just, just to, Holy Spirit, search my heart. Search my heart. Just take a minute. Just listen. You, you do business now or later, but just right now, I want you to listen. Ask him any of those six or seven categories. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to be a part of the redeemed of your bride. We want to be pure and spotless and white because we love the King. So God, would you give us courage now? I ask for every person that is in this room, Lord Jesus, that you would give them courage, that you would give them grace, that you would give them the right timing, and that above all, Lord, that the the motive would come out of love. Father, would you make us strong? 
God, would you cause the world to look at the gospel and go, I want it because I've seen the people that adhere and that are surrendered to it, and it's beautiful. Jesus, we love you. We love what you're doing. Would you help us to live it out courageously until your return? In your precious holy name, everybody said.